You know, somewhere in scripture, uh, well, actually, I know exactly where it is in scripture. Psalm 139 says, Lord, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. And as we continue sometimes to struggle with exactly when to stand up for the doxology, the Lord has this hemmed in too. Our Bible reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 11, I will be reading verses 38 through, well, actually Luke 10. I'll be reading Luke 10, 38 through 11, verse 4. And as we've already heard, this continues our series on Formed by Jesus. These are all texts where Jesus does things or says things that when we open our hearts to them, the Holy Spirit forms us and gives us the shape that he intends. And, and today's topic is prayer, which is such an important formation topic, right? I mean, of, of, the, of the practices that we Christians have, prayer is just, it's the lifeblood, right? Prayer is the lifeblood of faith as we practice it from day to day. And here is one of, part of what I'm going to read is one of the most important parts of Jesus' teaching on faith. It's Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, where he explicitly teaches his disciples what it means to pray. I'm going to read the passage before the Lord's Prayer because I think the Holy Spirit did something interesting when he put them together. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listening to what he said. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. A few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. One day, Jesus was playing in a, praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. This is the word of the Lord. As a pastor has been preaching for a long time, it's always exciting or interesting when the Holy Spirit opens up uh, something that you've never seen before in a passage that you think you know really, really well. And that's what happened uh, to me this week with the Lord's Prayer. What text do we know better than the Lord's Prayer, right? I mean, I, we've all read this passage or Matthew's version many times. We have prayed the prayer, if you're my age, thousands of times in your lifetime. And yet the Holy Spirit can still teach us new things. And for me, that new thing this week was the way that Luke's story of Mary and Martha and the Lord's Prayer come right after each other and, and how, in a way, that story of Mary and Martha helps us to see what Jesus is trying to do when he teaches his disciples to pray. And let me explain what that means. I mean, you just heard the story of Mary and Martha. I think you know it well. 
Just to recap, it's a story of, of two women, two people who have very different perspectives on life. Martha is a, is a list maker and a doer. Martha is a person who needs to have all of her things done before she can sit down and relax. She has to cross everything off her list before she can, she can Sabbath, okay? Mary, on the other hand, is someone who is able to leave the dishes in the sink if there's something more important going on. And in our story, she ends up sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus loves both Mary and Martha. Jesus is tender with both Mary and Martha. But Jesus obviously thinks that Mary's way is better. Mary has chosen the better part. Mary has chosen the one thing needful. Now, sometimes when we ministers preach on the story of Mary and Martha, and I have preached on the story of Mary and Martha, and I think I did this when I preached on this story, we will say to you, are you a Mary or are you a Martha? That gets people's attention, but I'm not sure it's the most helpful because I think if we're honest about how it goes, inside our heads, everyone is both Mary and both Martha, Right? We all have responsibilities, we all have expectations, we all have things that we know that we need to do. And our Martha voice is the voice in our head that's reminding us of those things and telling us to get on them. The laundry will not do itself, people, says Martha, in our heads. And yet we know our soul needs care too. We know that we need to sit at the feet of Jesus. We know that there's a deep part of us that needs nourishment. So in most of our lives, the Mary and the Martha voice are competing for attention in our heads. And both voices are important. You need a Martha voice. You need a Martha voice, right? A person without a Martha voice is not well balanced. Um, it's hard to spend a long time with someone who doesn't have a little bit of Martha in them, right? Even monks and mystics need to clean the bathroom. Well, the trouble starts, and I think you know this, when the Martha voice just takes over, right? When the Martha voice just takes over, and the Martha voice tells you, you know what, if you're just a little more efficient, if you just plan a little better, if you're just a little better managing your time, if you just work a little bit harder, you, you can surround this thing. You can get a handle on this thing, right? You can build your kingdom. You can find your bliss. And you find yourself on the hamster wheel, and... Your soul is irritated and tired, and the longer you do it, the more crispy your soul gets. I think that for many of us, myself included, our Martha voice can dominate our days. And Jesus knows this, right? Jesus knows this, that this happens to us, and so he gives us a gift. He gives us a practice that we can do that can help us get our Martha voice and our Mary voice in proper, in proper alignment. And that gift is the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer helps order our life. One way of looking at it, it helps get your Mary voice and your Martha voice in proper order. How does it do that? Well, let's look at that. And I want to look at that in three movements. I'll look at the prayer in its order in three movements. Movement one. The prayer starts with a single word. Father. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he doesn't teach us to start by asking for things that we genuinely need or help for things that we know we need to do. 
he doesn't even teach us to start by offering thanksgiving or praise. He starts with a relationship. The first thing Jesus teaches us to do in prayer is he grabs our hand, he grabs our shoulders, and he turns us away from our troubles and our worries. He turns us towards God, and we look up, and we see the face of a loving and caring Father. It's hard to overemphasize how important that image is. I mean, you're all used to it. You're used to calling God Father. In Jesus' context, to call God Father or Abba, as you hear in other places of Scripture, this was absolutely revolutionary, both for Jews and for pagans. Because in the Old Testament, that image of Father is not much used. Okay, It's like just a handful of times it's used. And it's never used the way Jesus uses it here and the way it's used all throughout the New Testament, which uses that image more than 300 times. It's arguably the dominant metaphor for picturing who God is. And, even, and for pagans, so it was revolutionary for Jews in that sense, for pagans it was even more revolutionary because if you were someone who worshipped the pagan gods, if you turned your face towards a pagan god, they were powerful, but they were miserable right? They were vain, they changed their minds, they were violent, they were capricious. You had to flatter pagan gods, you had to appease them. So if, if your day was spent beholding a pagan god, you would end up with a life of flattery and calculation and just exhaustion. When you turn your face towards your heavenly father, you see a face that is smiling, a face that knows your name, a face that has numbered the hairs on your head and loves you more than you can possibly imagine. Now, I know that this image is, is difficult for some people. If you had a father who was not like the father that's described in this book, that, that sometimes that's a really hard image for you. But it's really clear that the, the father that Jesus teaches us to pray to is loving and he cares about you. John Stott, do you know that name? John Stott, great English preacher, evangelical leader, hero of evangelicalism, all-around great guy. He died around 2000, I think. Years ago, I read an interview in Christianity Today where he described his, his morning rituals, and, and John Stott would start every morning out with exactly the same prayer. And the prayer always started out the same way. He would say, good morning, Heavenly Father. Good morning, Lord Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. That's how he started. What do, you, what do you think of that? Good morning, Heavenly Father. Good morning, Lord Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. I once got in a conversation with Andy Kivenhoven, who used to edit the banner about that. And he goes, I don't like that. He thought it was way too familiar, okay? But I, I, I kind of like it. And honestly, when Jesus teaches us to start with Father, I think John Stott is kind of getting in the rhythm, getting in the feel of what Jesus is trying to say. When you start your day this way and you see that face before you, you remind yourself that whatever happens, love is at the center of your world. A God who loves you is the center of your world. So that's movement one of the prayer, and you can see, is that a Martha movement or is that a Mary movement? That's very much a Mary movement, right? That's, Jesus is starting by putting us in a Mary place. So it gets us to movement two. And now in movement two, we're starting to think of priorities and plans and things that need doing. 
Only it's not our priorities, and it's not our plans. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And again, if, if Martha had her way, if the Martha voice in our head won out, uh, we would be at this point turning towards our concerns and our kingdom and, and the things that we had to do. If, if the Martha voice has its way, her way, its way, I shouldn't genderize this, then, then, if, then we would, our to-do list would be the story of our day. Our to-do list would be the story of our day. By starting us by saying, no, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Father. Jesus is teaching us to make God's story and his kingdom the story of our day, which is a much better story. Because we all know from hard experience that your plans and the things you've got surrounded can come apart in a heartbeat. One phone call from the doctor. One downturn in the market that wrecks your business. One rift in the family that just keeps on getting wider. And everything starts tumbling to the ground. God's kingdom and his name and his righteousness will never tumble to the ground. His name will be hallowed. His will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when you start your prayer that way, you anchor yourself in this strong and certain thing. So the first two movements of the prayer are both Mary movements, looking at God's face and reminding yourself of the certainty of his promises. It's only till movement three that you finally get to come to the things that you're worried about, to your Martha stuff. And what's really interesting, and when we start asking for things for ourselves, what's really interesting is the things that Jesus does not teach us to ask for. Right? This is a basic fundamental prayer, right? Arguably the most important teaching on prayer in the whole New Testament. It's really interesting the things that Jesus does not include in his instructions. He does not teach us to ask for help for our sicknesses or for the people we love who are sick. He does not teach us to pray about our own security or for the security of people we love. He does not teach us to pray for help with the things that are involved in our personal success. Right? None of that makes this basic prayer. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for those things. There are lots of other passages in Scripture that teach us to pray for the sick and to pray for those in need and to pray for all of those things. And Scripture says those things are powerful and effective. But... Jesus seems to be saying, don't start there. Don't start with those things. Where do you start? Uh, what are the basics? Three things. Give us each day our daily bread. Lord, I don't need to be a big success. I don't need to have miracles today. I don't need to have spectacle. Just, just give me my bread. Enough strength for today. Just enough manna to make this day's journey through the wilderness. That is deeper and more fundamental than a prayer for health. So if I were to get leukemia this week, pray that that doesn't happen, but should it happen, I would absolutely pray that God would heal me and I would ask you to pray for me as well. I would absolutely ask for those prayers for healing that we all ask for when we get a sudden health scare. But deeper than that prayer, underneath that prayer, I think Jesus is teaching me to pray something else as well. Lord, I want to be healed, but you're the one who knows my future, right? 
You know how this is going to work out. And I submit to whatever it is that you want, and I just pray that as I walk that road, that you would give me the strength every day to be a faithful person and to do what needs doing and to shine your light and do the right thing. Give me this day my daily bread. That's all at the bottom. That's all I need, Lord. The second fundamental thing Jesus teaches us to ask for, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And here, I think in this request, Jesus is making sure that we put ourselves in the middle of his grace, that grace be the sort of central thing out of which we live day by day. Remind, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness every day. I need your grace. And Lord, help me then to show that same grace and forgiveness to other people. Just put me in the center of that flow every single day. So I'm not a person of spitefulness. So I'm not a person of anger. I'm not a person of bitterness or fear. Make grace my root. And finally, Jesus says, lead us not into temptation. And that quite simply is, now that I'm going, person of grace, got my daily bread, help me to stay in your paths, right? Help me just to, to obey your commandments and not to veer off. Just keep me on the straight and narrow, Lord. Put that all together and you have this, this amazing prayer that roots you deeply. You start with your merry place. Lord, I see your loving face. I remember your promises. And now, give me grace, give me bread, let me walk your paths. If you pray that prayer every day, if that's the root of your prayer, if those are the fundamentals underneath all your personal prayers, the Holy Spirit will be forming you in a powerful and a deep way every single day. And let me tell you a story to conclude that shows this. It's a story that I heard in a funeral, Al Youngsma's funeral this week. Right? Al, a member of our church. Um, Al was a Christian reform minister for 40 years. He served churches all over North America. And so, of course, he's a person who spent his whole life praying, as, as ministers do. Not just those 40 years, his whole life. Was all of his 90 years, he was a prayer. The last few years have not been so easy for Al. His health went up and down. And actually, during COVID, he had a medical event where he could hardly talk anymore. He could only do one-word answers. He could string two words together. He could hardly communicate. So he and Joyce ended up going to live with their children here in town so that they could take care of them. And that was, I mean, the kids, the grandkids loved being with grandpa, but it was hard, right? Hard to communicate with them. After a couple months of doing this, one night around the table, uh, dad turned to Al and said, surprisingly, dad, uh, would you like to close in prayer for us? And everyone else at the table was, oh, how's Al going to do it? He, can, he can't even string two words together. But they all bow their head. And Al Youngsma proceeds to pray this perfect, flowing, fluent, God-centered prayer for everyone at that table. I love that story. I love that story because it shows you how a lifetime of doing this, there are roots that go deeper than you even understand, that I even understand. This is happening. It's going deep. I love that story because I, I imagine what an encouragement that must have been for the grandkids. And I love that story because it's an encouragement to me and to you of what happens to us 
when we spend our days in this kind of deep prayer. Amen. Lord, here I, here I am, here we are again, coming before your face, Father, in prayer. Father, you, you know our weaknesses and our uncertainties, and, and so hallowed be your name and your kingdom come. And now as we go forward into this week, make us people of grace, give us the bread we need, and help us to walk your paths. In your Son's name we pray, amen.